Hello and welcome to the Stay and Thrive podcast. We're exploring what it's like to come from another country and work in the UK's National Health Service. My name is Katie MacDonald and I'm a Fellow for International Retention in the NHS. If you're an internationally educated healthcare professional or you work with people outside of the UK, and that's pretty much all of us, then this is for you. We're focusing on how we can all make sure everyone is truly able to stay and thrive. This time, we're talking about welcoming new colleagues on their very first days at work, the process that sometimes gets called onboarding. What's the best way of welcoming new arrivals from outside of the UK? What is it like to arrive at work for the first time? What can managers and team leaders do to make the experience a positive one? And what needs to happen to make those initial days and weeks better for everyone? To help answer some of these questions, I'm joined by two people who know a lot about this whole process. First, Mark Doblas is a lead clinical practice facilitator. His team provides training, clinical and pastoral support to internationally educated colleagues in Royal United Hospital's Bath NHS Foundation Trust. Hi, Mark. Hi, Katie. Then we have senior sister Rianne Trivett, who is responsible for running the Older Persons Assessment Unit in Royal United Hospitals. Hi, Rianne. Morning, Katie. So, Mark, you're from the Philippines. Can you tell us a little bit about your first few days and what were the good things and what were the challenges? So I used to work in Singapore and as well as in Dubai. And then I said, I'm moving to the UK. And then that's when I said... This might not be quite of a challenge because they speak English. And um, when I first arrived to the UK, I thought I knew how to get on with life in the UK. But actually, no, I needed support. And in my case, I was in the first cohort of internationally educated nurses to arrive in our organization. So we were still all figuring out how to provide that onboarding support. I remember there was a time when I when I took the bus and then I paid with a 50 note. And oh, then wow. <laughs> the driver was like staring at me. I didn't really realize it's a, it's a huge amount <laughs> because... My currency in the Philippines is like that's that's just the more like the base note. I, I got scolded and I was told that, oh, you shouldn't be paying for a two pound fare with a 50 pound bill. And I was like, all right, that's one thing I need to remember. <laughs> Did you get let on the bus? Yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I was. And then I even got lost in the city center. I think because it, I, I always say this, it's a multi-sensory experience. The sights, the sound and the smell was so different from what I've been so used to. I felt like this is so overwhelming for me. I didn't really stay long in the city center. I had to go back to my accommodation because I felt like oh, I, I need to let all those information sink in. Yeah. So I guess what you're saying is, I guess, a sense of culture shock, really. Mm-hmm. It's quite tricky to understand it because I've been away from home um, in many different countries in many years, but then moving to the UK, it amplified everything. I don't know, maybe it's just the distance. And then I had a hard time coping with it. I had to speak to my family every single time. I had to constantly update them because I was just staying in my accommodation. I never wanted to go out anymore. My colleagues just knock on my door, um, send me food to my room just because I wasn't feeling... I I didn't feel like I was so ready in that transition when I think I did all the preparation prior to coming, but it just didn't work out. So I really felt a bit down and sad 
during those early period. Yeah, I can imagine. And and I guess in that sense of maybe some of the things that you were after was home comforts and, yes. and food from your home That's country. That's very true. I mean, I had a hard time looking for ingredients that I can cook up a dish from my home country. But then later on realizing I was just a stone throw away from a store that sells all the ingredients. But I didn't know that because wow. because I uh, no one pointed me to the right direction. Yeah. Food is so closely linked to home and mm-hmm. home comfort, isn't mm-hmm. it? It's so important. So, Rianne, I guess you've heard Mark talk about the difficulties in the culture shock, adjusting to life in the UK. How do you think that managers should handle those early days and support international colleagues? Well, I actually can relate to what Mark's saying. I've got a member of staff who six months being in the IUH, was admitted into the hospital and needed to have an operation. He was so nervous, didn't know anybody. So um, I visited him into hospital several times and then got a lot of my nurses that working alongside me to like make traditional food for him. So when he actually then he did get discharged out of hospital, he had a, a fridge full, um, wow. didn't need to worry about it. So yeah, I think it's a, it is a massive cultural change and the environment is is huge and UK hospitals are so much different to hospitals in the Philippines. So just kind of supporting your colleagues as much as you possibly can do. Uh, It went a long way for him. He didn't expect it, but it's my duty to look after my staff and be the advocate and make sure that they're safe in hospital, but also outside of hospital. That's incredible. I guess you provided that support and that family network that your colleague didn't have at that moment in time. So as part of making international colleagues feel welcome, a really crucial part of that is that onboarding process. It is the very first 24, 48 hours. And sometimes, you know, first impressions are key. It Mm -hmm. sets the tone to to what you think of the country, what you think Mm -hmm. of the people that you're with. And so how do you help within those first 24, 48 hours to make new recruits welcome? What are the specific things related to onboarding that you do that make a difference? Mm-hmm. So communication with the nurses before arriving to the country is very important. You can just imagine waiting for your visa, waiting for your flight tickets. Like if you'll be waiting for your flight tickets three days before your actual date of arrival, I don't know how you would feel It's nerve-wracking. So constant communication with them, assuring them that they have the accommodation, the transportation booked already. So when they arrive in the airport, and there's already a booked transportation that will take them from the airport to the accommodation. When they arrive at the accommodation, there's already a welcome card that um, they receive. And in our organization, we have a welcome card that's translated in their own languages. So we translated it into the major languages that we predominantly recruit our nurses from, just so they already have that piece of home with them. We also have like grocery packs just for them to get by in the first few hours of arriving in the UK. And of course, one thing that we always tend to forget in a very long flight, imagine the Philippines would take 20 hours, India, 15 hours, they're hungry. They're very hungry. So food should be readily available. And then even if they arrive a few days before their actual start date, it is important that you welcome them at the time they arrive and then give them a very brief tour just so they know the locality. Because like in our case, they arrive on a Thursday. Their start date is on a Monday. 
a lot can happen within that period. So it's very important that they already know how to register with a GP, who to call for emergency, the contact numbers in the UK for emergency. One thing that I find very amusing as well is that most of them are not so used to drinking water from the tap. So making them understand that it's potable and also when it's in the colder days, how to make use of the heating system. Those tiny things, it's, it really spells a whole lot of difference because we don't have this from back home. And in that period as well, it is important that a senior member from the organization will be there to welcome them because that speaks a lot of the support that the organization has to welcome these new colleagues. So it's about making that first journey really seamless mm. so that they feel welcome, they feel appreciated, mm. they feel valued for that incredible journey that they mm. have just made mm. halfway across the world. And you're right, senior leadership absolutely has to be part of that welcome, doesn't it? Mm. I guess one thing that we've not really touched on is also supporting international colleagues with adjusting to the cost of living in the UK. Is there anything that you've done within your role to support that, Riam? So I kind of feel that looking after your staff, it goes beyond the education side of things. You need to take responsibility and help them make a kind of inclusive environment outside as well. I've helped them finding accommodation because the cost of living in Bath is ridiculous. Help furnish their apartments. I think in total, I've probably furnished 12, 15 apartments. It all kind of came from a member of staff who just accidentally let me know that she'd been sleeping and sitting on the floor for six months. And I was like, no, that's not going to happen again. So from there, I've got a garage full of furniture. My husband, <laughs> we're like his garage back at some point, but um, <laughs> yeah, there's furniture in there, sofas, chairs, kitchenware. And it's just really important to kind of have a home from home. Yeah. And I guess one key thing that is part of having an inclusive culture is also creating that space where people feel free to speak up. How do you do that, Rianne? When I first started, there's very much a hierarchy within my department. And I introduced like a new model of working, encouraging all staff to utilise their skills, have a voice, and therefore they feel valued and engaged. Simple ground rules on my board, very, very simple. Respect, confidentiality, suspend judgment. I want my staff to be open and honest. I value people's opinions and like, listen, everyone has a voice. Everyone has an opinion. And we kind of created our own OPU kind of culture, world culture, and everyone respects each other. That's amazing. And I guess within that culture, there's a responsibility to challenge discriminatory behaviour alongside promoting that inclusive environment. So then I guess... How do managers create an environment where people really aren't afraid to speak? What's what's your advice? I think for managers like Rian, what Rian is doing, it's just having that open door because you would notice that in the internationally educated nurses in their first few months, they're very shy. They don't want to open up. It's a matter of the manager reaching out to them just to initiate that culture of conversation and openness. And later on, you would be surprised. They would now be the one coming up to you and talking about all sorts of different things that I think Rian can relate to this. And I think one thing that really helped us as well is the knowledge at the onboarding to know that we have freedom to speak up, 
We have the union. We have diaspora organization. We have senior leaders in the organization that can support us. We have equality and diversity. That alone can encouraging us to be able to communicate our thoughts because we don't have all that from where we come from. Yeah, and that's key really that I guess we share that knowledge with international colleagues. Mark, what do you think could have been better for you in in terms of your experience of being made to feel welcome? So I come from a very unique place because I myself, I'm an internationally educated nurse, have gone through all of that. And now I'm given, I call it the privilege to be able to implement um, things that could better the experience of welcoming these internationally educated nurses. So very clearly one is just signposting. Signposting is very important. Giving them a welcome pack with things that they need to know as to even knowing where the local shops where they can buy ingredients for their food is already very important. Knowing the locality, giving them a welcome tour within the hospital and within the community. And also in the RUH, we do a pre-arrival session and we talk to them about everything they need, all the expectations and everything they expect to see when they come to the UK, just so they can already try to transition into being in the UK even while before arriving in the UK. So we talk about accommodation, we talk about transportation, ways of communication, we talk about shopping and discounts, places to eat, where to find local food, and then we talk about faith and um, religious places as well, just so when they come here, they would already feel that even if they're leaving a huge chunk of their life from back home, they can actually create a home in where they're already planted, having been uprooted somewhere else. Yeah. It sounds like what you're doing is you're preparing people as much as possible for the culture shock that you experienced mm. yourself. Mm. Yes. And I guess that's that's key, isn't it? So there was a recent research that was published in the International Journal of Nursing Studies. And there was a quote from one of the international recruits that the researchers spoke to. And they said they didn't know where to start with us. They had absolutely nothing planned for us. So I guess, Rianne, in terms of you being a ward manager, how do you prepare for internationally educated colleagues first day? What kind of specifics do you do to get them ready for their first day on the ward? To start off with, I have a conversation with them. I get to know them. Have they got a family? What are their interests? What are their hobbies? And get to actually know the individual. Because once you've started on my ward, you're part of my team. Just only yesterday, actually, that one of my nurses had been praying in the toilet because she didn't know where to go. And I was absolutely heartbroken. And I was like, no, no, no. Had a big conversation with her. And then I kind of just showed her where the spiritual centre was, introduced her there. And she started crying. And then I was like, why are you crying? She was like, no one's done this. And I didn't know this area was here. And I said, from now on, I really want you to come here. Don't get me wrong, I've had my highs and my lows, but all I've kind of wanted to do is make positive changes for my staff, regardless of culture. And at times I have been misunderstood, but I've always, always kind of stayed true to myself and the values and beliefs that I believe in. Because could I do that? Could I move across the other side of the world, leave my kids, leave my husband to make a better future for my family? No, I couldn't. I couldn't do it. So it's really important as a as a ward manager to put yourself in their kind of environment and the changes and what would you expect and actually 
just trying to make them feel welcomed small little things and it's about understanding familial and religious needs and supporting those needs to be met which is exactly what you've demonstrated through supporting your colleague to find a spiritual center understanding what they've been through trying to put yourself in their shoes but how do you convey that message to your staff it can be a struggle but actually all my team on on board now we just bring our cultures together and we've made a diverse fantastic walled culture where mm-hmm. we all respect each other. But it can it can be challenging. And like we've got this OPAU booklet about what the department's all about and just first little steps about how how we can support you, what courses we can attend. We have got an individual that does one-to-one kind of training with them. It's just small steps, big difference. So I guess it's about educating educating the staff on the ward, continuously educating yourself and embracing those cultural differences. And I think a lot of what you've demonstrated, Rianne, is modelling correct behaviour of what we would want all of our leaders to do. One of the salient features that we need to highlight on really is to also support our domestic colleagues to be able to be ready and open to support these internationally educated nurses. These nurses stay within my team in the period of their training for their OSCE, but the real work experience will be with the team that they'll be working with. And most of them are our domestic colleagues, um, those that are British colleagues. And one thing that I'm actively doing within my organization that I think is bridging that gap, because I know for a fact that our domestic colleagues would really want to support them. It's just that they don't know where to start. So we've created the manager's guide. So I used to call it the manager's guide. Then I realized it shouldn't just be the manager. It should be the whole ward. So I've changed it into the ward guide on supporting internationally educated nurses because we want them to be well aware of the journey of these nurses, what they had to go through to be able to come to this country, to work in the UK, and then simple things. Simple things listing on how to say hello in a different language. It's a good conversation starter. The flags of the countries where we actively recruit nurses and then even the difference in the practice. A lot of those things are listed on that guide. And what we are already doing now is in order to multiply or to amplify that knowledge within the organization, we do a ward-based facilitator training. So most of our wards now have facilitators within their own ward. And just because the bulk of our recruitment is in overseas. And I I think um, so far we're receiving very good feedback because they just feel like a moment of enlightenment thinking that, oh, have I known this previously? I could have supported the nurses way better. But I know it's never too late. I mean, there's still an ongoing stream of recruitment and we can do so much in spreading that information to many other people as well. So it's about breaking down barriers Mm -hmm. and increasing understanding, Mm. essentially. I think it's also about like educating your staff as well. Mm. Like I do remember one of my colleagues, she just moved over and had a most awful, awful family loss. And I said, go back, go back, be with your family. And she's like, no, I'm doing this for my family. So I introduced her to another one of my colleagues who then introduced her to the church. So it's just outside of work as well, showing them where they can go to kind of have that culture outside of hospital and that environment outside of hospital from home from home. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think you're exactly right there. This isn't about people just moving to the UK and working in the NHS. It is about life outside of work. And it's it's looking at how we can make people feel welcome mm-hmm. so that they can have a fulfilling life within the UK. Thank you very much indeed to Rianne and Mark for sharing your story and experience. And that's it for this edition of the Stay and Thrive podcast. I hope you've enjoyed it and found it useful. We have lots more episodes with lots more useful information. Just search for Stay and Thrive wherever you get your podcasts and click follow and you'll find all of our episodes right there. And do tell people about the podcast. The more ears we reach, the more help we can be to international colleagues, their teams and managers. Plus, this podcast is for you and we'd love to hear from you. Please get in touch with questions, comments, stories of your own experiences or if you have any suggestions about how we can make sure people stay and thrive. There are several ways you can do it. On Twitter, or rather X, we're at stayandthrive. Or you can use the hashtag stayandthrive. Our email is england.stayandthriveir at nhs.net. And for more information about Stay and Thrive, visit our Futures page at future.nhs.uk forward slash NEY international retention. If you haven't got anywhere to note those down, we'll put all those details in the show notes. I'm Kate McDonald. Till next time, goodbye.